This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. And right now they have a 20% off sale uh, using code HNT20SPT. HNT20SPT. And that's good on anything on the site through September 24th. So get over there and check it out. This podcast, uh, we're going to attempt to answer some of those questions like, What's the difference between a $3,000 pair of binoculars and a $300 pair of binoculars? What is a good quality budget binocular? And what does budget even mean? Um, so we're going to break down some of that stuff with Mark from Outdoorsman. Um, they sell a lot of Swarovski, like uh, all the higher end stuff. But they're also handling Vortex and some of the things maybe we're more familiar with that we would think as a nice pair of binoculars. And we break down all that in this podcast. Quick shout out to our latest Patreon, Todd Reichert from down in the great state of Georgia. And uh, Todd's already jumped in feet first to the Marco Polo group. And with the different seasons starting up, we got guys in trees. We're seeing <laughs> tonight. Uh, one of the guys in New York had a huge buck go by him. And of course it's a doe only season and, uh, it's really getting exciting. So best time of year for sure. Um, if you're a Patreon and you're not utilizing the Marco Polo, uh, group for the community aspect of it, uh, definitely check it out. And, uh, a couple of the other guys, Austin and Todd, I need your shirt sizes. I shipped out all the rest, everything that I had. Um, but, Todd, Austin, if you're listening, I need that shirt size. I sent you a message on Patreon. Just waiting to hear back. Um, congrats, Pat Casey, on a tremendous UP black bear. 
um, pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, we're going to have him on the podcast here, uh, shortly to talk about that story. Uh, pretty much everything you'd want out of a bear hunt. So, um, our community with Patreon is growing every day and we can't appreciate the support enough. We give back as much as we can. Things like the Patreon hunt, a uh, bunch of stuff again this year from Redline. So uh, we've got a bunch of bow sites, quivers, uh, a couple of bow cases. Wilderness Athlete uh, hooked us up on all the supplement. Uh, so for uh, water, energy, uh, hydration, that sort of stuff. They didn't send us water, but you know what I'm saying. Um, all that stuff. And that's just for the Patreons coming to the hunt. Next year, we've got that. Uh, Montana black bear hunt. We're doing a spring bear hunt out there. Uh, so super excited about that. And we do quarterly giveaways. So we are like right up against it like this week or next, maybe the next podcast will be still in September. I guess, I guess we got one more in September, uh, time to get send, signed up to get in on the quarterly giveaway. So any of our partners, uh, we make sure that they have something to give away to our patrons because they support us and, Kanadi arrows, uh, zinger fletchings, you know, a dozen arrows from Kanadi. Uh, Huntworth is giving away some base layers, a vest, some gloves, um, big shot targets. They're giving away one of their, their targets, uh, Spartan forge year subscription. We've been using the heck out of that here, uh, scouting for this Patreon hunt and they've got the new LIDAR. Um, so you can see all these little bumps and everything in all these little swamps. So you can try and figure out some of this bedding if that's what you're into. Uh, you can go to SpartanForge.ai, use code BOWHUNTER, save 25%. Uh, at Big Shot Targets, you can save 10% using BCP. Latitude, they give away a set of their sticks or saddle. Uh, it just depends on, on what they've got laying around. Uh, BHC is the code over there. You can, you, you can save 15%. Um, lucky buck, uh, man, those bucks in Missouri have found the lucky buck and go over to our Instagram and take a look at the bucks that Mark's passing down there, um, in hopes to get one of those giants. So, uh, super awesome. Looking forward to that. Uh, I can't, I can't wait to, to see him shoot one of those bucks. Um, but all, all those companies give something away for uh, our patrons and for you 17 cents a day 33 cents a day something like that um, really helps us out allows us to do this sort of stuff and give back and that's what we're really trying to do um, so check it out patreon.com forward slash born chronicles podcast become part of our growing community uh, come on one of these hunts come meet the guys all that stuff but if it's not for you uh, tell somebody about the podcast let them know what we're doing over here and send them our way uh, we appreciate it uh, but i know you guys are gonna love this episode thanks again thanks for listening all right everybody adam back with another episode of the bow hunter chronicles podcast and today we're going to talk about one of the most maybe perplexing things uh when you're starting to load out your gear um you know maybe you have a budget and you say okay well if i only had so much money to spend on on optics, like this is what it's going to be. And then you start to look and then it's like, well, things are triple quadruple, you know, 10 times your budget. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, how can this be? Um, you know, these have good reviews. Those have good reviews. And um, I think there's a saying like when you, and this is a bow hunting podcast, obviously, but uh, when it comes to like rifle scopes, it's like whatever you spend on the rifle, you're supposed to spend like two times as much um, on the optic, uh, which for, 
a guy shooting, uh, you know, open sights, 30, 30, uh, you know, which is the Michigan deer camp staple, uh, for years and years, uh, that seems absolutely absurd. So we're going to try to, uh, work through some of that and, uh, kind of maybe take away some of the mystique, uh, of some of this stuff with, uh, Mark Denham from Outdoorsman's. Uh, they're one of the foremost, uh, optics guys in, in the industry, um, kind of more of a Western hunting brand. Um, they work with like Western hunter and, uh, all of that sort of stuff. And, uh, from what Tracy was telling me, they have like the largest selection of Swarovski, uh, you know, in the, in the States. So, uh, how are you doing today, Mark? Good, man. Good. Thank you so much for having me. Really, really excited to be on. So yeah, we're going to definitely switch some gears. Maybe you're used to talking about, uh, you know, glassing over miles of canyons and stuff like that, um, to maybe some, some glassing, some soybeans for some, for some whitetails here as, you know, some of the velvet seasons have kicked off, but, but really through the Midwest and, uh, you know, here in Michigan, we're not starting until October. So, uh, you know, guys are dialing in their gear, they're getting stuff ready for their out of state trips. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was talking to some other people where they're saying, okay, well, um, you know, the sea, the season's here. And it's like, well, for Michigan, you know, this is the tune up time. This is where you're dialing everything in, you know, yeah. and, you know, some of the guys haven't even shot their bows or they're dusting off their cases and, and trying to figure <laughs> it out. So, um, what's the story with, uh, outdoorsmen's and the company and, and kind of your role there? Yeah. So, Outdoorsman started officially in 1982. So we've been around for quite a while. Uh, if you know, if you were back in Phoenix back in that day, you know that we were kind of a pawn shop there for a little while. And then, uh, our owner, one of our owners now back in the mid nineties started to realize that, you know, his passion of, of just hunting in general needed a specialty shop. We had our, you know, back then you had some shops down in Tucson and there was some, a couple little shops here in Phoenix, but there was no Bass Pro. There was no Sportsman's Warehouse. There was none of that stuff. And these, these hunters needed a specialty shop to go to that they could find advice and gear and equipment for what they were doing. And, uh, so that's pretty much how it started. You know, it was a, he started carrying some binoculars and, and things like that. And, uh, that's kind of when our relationship started with Swarovski. My dad actually was the owner of the company's first uh, Swarovski rep back in like 93, 94, the years I was born. And that's how they met. And ultimately, that's probably why I'm here today. But uh, in 99 is when we really started making our big moves into the Western, hunter in Western hunting industry and uh, started making our tripods and our tripod parts. And that's really what kicked us off as a purely Western hunting focused brand. But as time has gone on, we've realized that we're missing a market out in the East. And we understand that what we do is in most cases, very easily transferable to what the Eastern hunters are doing. You're just doing it at a different scale. And I like to compare it a lot to just archery elk hunting in either Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, those types of areas where I do find myself most of the time in extremely close scenarios, I start to realize like, hmm, my gear needs a little bit of a tweak. Like I need 
I need some different things for this type of hunting than I do for my big, you know, massive country coos deer, mule deer hunts. And I think that's really where you start to get into that, that Eastern style. Things are smaller, things are closer, things are tighter. You need to be quieter. You need to be, you know, uh, slimmer. So it's, uh, it's definitely transferable. And we always try. We have one of our guys here that's, uh, he's actually from Michigan. Uh, and he's, he's always telling us, he's like, oh, you guys don't even know. You guys have no idea. This Western hunter thing is cool, but man, you got to get out East. So we're, we're itching to get out there. Maybe we'll have to have to come out and do some hunting with you. Yeah, that'd be great. We can show you what not to do, uh, here. Uh, I'm the, the, the self-proclaimed, uh, world's worst bow hunter. And, uh, you know, we're, we're yeah. all learning together on this, uh, this podcast journey. Um, so one of the things, and, and for any of the listeners that are still around after he said, well, we're a Western hunting brand, um, you know, I think sometimes as we start to go, um, you know, from our, our Midwestern or our, you know, as you guys would say, like Eastern hunting, um, you know, the whitetail hunter, like as soon as you start to, to look at Western stuff, you go, uh, there's a lot of sticker shock. You know, uh, one of my buddies just got, uh, one of his buddies pulled a tag and he's going to go out there, um, elk hunting with him, you know, to kind of, kind of help out and looking at frame packs. And I'm like, well, here's a, here's a good option. Like if made in the USA is, you know, something that's important to you. Like, and he's like $500 for a pack. And like, that's one of the more budget minded packs, you know, that'll, that's a, that's a good pack. And, you know, you look at that, uh, I don't know if it was Snyder that said it where it's like, you know, basically a hundred dollars an ounce as you want to like take the weight off. And that seems to be a very, very Western thing. And so then when you look at, you know, well, okay, a spotting scope or, um, you know, binoculars or any of the, I mean, even with the tripods, you know, your carbon tripods and stuff like that, you, you look at them and go, Oh my gosh. But yeah, if you're going to carry that in there, you know, 10 miles or you're going, you know, five miles a day with that on your back, um, it, it weight adds up very quickly and, and that can be yeah. a thing. So what, as a, you know, Midwestern guy or whatever, that's where it's really hard to differentiate. Like what's the difference between a Vortex HD and a Swarovski, uh, you know, where there's a 10 times price break in there. Yeah. So what are we looking at in turn? Like, what are we paying for cost versus value? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's a, I mean, that's the first, that's the first thing we talk about with every customer that calls us or emails us. We're very into, you know, when somebody contacts us, we're, we're very focused on making sure that from the beginning, we're getting the whole story of what they're looking for and what their goal is for these products. You're not just definitely when it comes to our store, we're really looking to make sure that you're making the right purchase first instead of making a purchase that you're okay with, but you've really got something else in the back of your mind type of thing. Um, so budget is always the first thing we talk about. And that just kind of helps us get into a mindset of, you know, exactly what we're looking at. Uh, it can definitely narrow things down a ton, but no, no budget in mind. Realistically, what you're looking at from a hundred dollar pair of, you know, binoculars, Nikon binoculars from big five sporting goods to the EL range, you know, at, at literally $4,000 now, uh, is, 
small upgrades in quantity or in quality as you start to spend more money. And as you start to spend more money, those upgrades in quality or those updates in quality get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller as you reach the top of the, the food chain, basically, as far as, you know, the, the quality or the, the brand goes. So the difference between the hundred and one thousand dollar binocular is a massive difference compared to the three thousand and four thousand dollar binocular. So we really focus on trying to find that sweet spot with people. Uh, most of the time, the 100, 200, you're getting an extremely basic prism that is going to not transfer or, or uh, let through as much light as something that is, you know, more refined in the upper price range. At the end of the day, glass is usually glass. And most companies, I don't want to say all, but most companies are using the same glass itself. It's called shot glass. A lot of people use it and they start with the same basic cut glass. At that point, they take that glass and they do their own things to it. That's where the money comes from. That's where the differences in quality comes from is those things, those processes that they do to the glass. So different types of coatings are going to, uh, are going to filter light in different sorts, in different ways. They're going to let more light through. They're going to increase the edge clarity of the binocular. And as you go up in price, you just get more and more and more of those features. So from the $100 pair of Nikon binoculars, you're going to have a, you know, decent middle clarity as you go out to the edges it's going to be pretty fuzzy and it's not going to look very great focus is going to be kind of i call it big big focus it's like eh, yeah this is this is close enough you know this is a this is almost in focus and your your depth of field is going to shorten so only tiny little sections of your depth of field are going to be in focus versus large then as you start going up those things just start getting better you get better edge quality, uh, better color clarity or color correctness. So your browns are going to look more brown. Your greens are going to be more vibrant. Your blues and your reds and stuff are going to stick out a little bit more. Uh, we actually like to compare it a lot to TVs. Uh, you know, screen resolution and quality of a, a TV has a lot to do or a lot uh, of transferred information to like binoculars. You're looking at an image, the more vibrant, the more big, the clearer it is the more you're going to pay for it. And uh, that's very true with binoculars and glass in general. You know, it's a lot of this is transferable to spotting scopes and rifle scopes also. Rifle scopes being, I think, probably the most important to uh, to really, really get right, in, in my opinion. They can be the most finicky. But, you know, there is a point where things start to slow down as far as what you're getting for your money. So, we call the bang for the buck category about a thousand to fifteen hundred. And that's true for binoculars, spotting scopes, and uh, rifle scopes. That section right there is prices are today. That section right there is a very, very good quality section. And most of the time, most of the products within that price category are going to be a once in a lifetime type product. You're going to purchase it. It's going to last. It's going to be serviceable and you're going to be happy with it for basically the rest of your life. After that, it's like, that's the, hey, if you've got the money to spend, that's great, but you don't really need to. You know, at the end of the day, you will be very happy 
with this product and with these binoculars, spotting scopes or, or rifle scopes. Um, that changes as new products hit the market. Absolutely, it does. Like right now, the Vortex, the new Vortex spotting scope, which this will be released after we're allowed to talk about it, I would assume. So we're good there. But uh, I had to check the date. Uh, the 13 to 39 Razor, stuff like that, all of a sudden, it shifts our recommendations because as technology gets better, prices usually start to drip down. They don't, they don't rocket down like electronics do, but they start to kind of dip down just a little bit as technology gets better and manufacturing process and things like that. And then all of a sudden a product like the new Vortex Razor, the 13 to 39, that comes along at a thousand dollars and starts competing with 16 to $1,800 spotting scopes. And now all of a sudden that, that bang for the buck category drops down slightly. Um, I mean, used to be we would, 2000 was about what we would recommend spending on a spotting scope to get something that, you know, is going to last you a, a lifetime, a figurative lifetime. Uh, and now it's a lot closer to 1500 bucks, you know, on average. So it's definitely something you need to watch. And if you are looking to get into a product right now and you're saying like, I want to buy something that's going to last a lifetime and then I'm never going to want I'll say need to upgrade. The fact that wanting to upgrade is unfortunately something that us hunters and and hobbyists are going to have to live with for the rest of our lives. That that need or that that feeling that you're like, oh man, there's something better out there. But uh, you'll never need to do it, and that's something that's really important to us to get right the first time if that's what you're looking for. Um, so yeah, it's all about just doing the research and making sure that you're in the right category and you're, you're looking at the right products. And that research does take a little bit sometimes, but that is what we really focus on at, at Outdoorsman. It doesn't matter the demographic or the where you're going to be using it or how you're going to be using it. Optics are optics. And at the end of the day, I can talk to a birder. I can talk to a Midwestern hunter. I can talk to an Eastern hunter. I can talk to a Western hunter. And we can just talk optics without the end use really in mind until we get into the, like the nitty gritty of, okay, you're going to be hand holding these. You're going to want something maybe a little lighter, things like that. But all in all, optics are optics. And just talking about the quality and what you're receiving with the product is the most important thing. And I think it's transferable or relatable to all markets. And so where, I guess, uh, while you were saying that, like I'm jotting down some things here um yeah one thing is like i would say that for the people that i know or the midwestern thought process right is that second tier like vortex like the three to five hundred dollar price range because they're like well i just use these while i'm hunting i only need to see 80 yards or a hundred yards. What is, what are you gaining from a $500 to that thousand dollar, $1,500 range? And I can tell you like anecdotally, uh, years ago we had, um, a guy from Vanguard on and I picked up a set of the Vanguard ED fours and 10 by 42s. And at the time they were saying that because of where they're made, they have their own quality control for their own glass. And they were more than I would have spent any other time. Um, and I bought them, but I think they retail around $900 or so. 
And when I was out in Colorado, you know, this 10 by 42 that, you know, you got to have 10 by 50s or you got to have 15 by whatever's, um, they were outperforming an inexpensive, but, you know, HD spotting scope by leaps and bounds. Um, I mean, it it was night and day. And this is, I mean, we're glass and elk is a rifle elk hunt uh, across this Canyon and it's a mile across and it was way easier to see way easier to pick up much clearer. And I'm, I'm just curious as to like, for again, that like cost of value or the end user, you know, what, what exactly are you getting for that? And then I guess the same thing is, is like, where is that jump the largest from like, I just I'm familiar with all the crossfire uh, with the vortex stuff. So like crossfire to like razor to diamondback type stuff, just because I think they're marketing, you know, everybody is like, Oh, vortex, vortex, vortex of the warranty and all this stuff. Um, So those are the things that are are top of mind, especially marketed to us here um, in the Midwest. But where is that jump the greatest and, and the best, I guess, value from, you know, the, the, the dollars per output standpoint. Yeah. So in terms of dollars, I would say the the biggest jump would be, mm, I'd say the sub 500 to the, to the thousand to 1500, the jump from those products to that price range is probably the most noticeable. Um, so in terms of like Vortex's line, it would be the Vipers to the Razor Razor HDs. You know, that that jump right there starts to really get noticeable, because if you look at the product binoculars, we'll talk about binoculars specifically for right now. But build quality is going to increase pretty much every single time you go up in a line, up in price, you know, up in anything. Build quality is always going to get better for sure. And that's something that's just you should expect. You know, it's build quality is great. You're not looking at it though, and you can't really feel it. It's just something that's there and that's good. So that's always going to increase as you go up in price. But if you look at the product of a binocular as just what it is at the end of the day, it is the image that you are seeing when you're looking through them. That is what you're purchasing. You don't really care about any of the bells and whistles, what the straps can do on the side. Who cares? It's, it's the product. It is that image. So that image is going to. The field of view that you have as you increase in quality is going to increase. The actual size of the field of view may not be getting bigger, but the usable field of view is what we like to talk about a lot. And that's going to be when you're looking through that circle, where does it start to get fuzzy at the edges? And if you'll know, if you look at a less expensive pair to a more expensive pair, you'll notice that that edge, that fuzziness starts to and get smaller and smaller and smaller as you go up in price or quality. And that is purely because of coatings, quality of glass, and amount of glass or types of glass that they're using. And that is the easiest way, in my opinion, to spot a quality versus lower quality type of binocular. Then you get into the things like color and resolution and things like that. The actual sharpness of the image uh, at you know complete focus and the types of colors you're seeing it's it definitely is something that that price is definitely something you have to talk about 
and you have to take into consideration. But at the end of the day, what we really suggest people do is don't let it get, don't let it get in the way of you making a decision either way, up or down. If, if you look at a product that's $1,500 and a thousand, you know, and another product that's a thousand, if the thousand looks better to you, don't read into it. Like, do not say, Oh man, these are, these are this brand and these are this brand and these are more expensive. I should like these more. It does not matter. Everybody's eyes are so different in so many different ways that it has a massive effect on how you view. So you're getting increases in quality. And that's definitely something to think about, but really getting behind the glass and testing it out, which is kind of really hard to do in a lot of places. And that's that's why we here at at, at Outdoors was like in Phoenix here. We, I mean, if you come in, we'll sit outside and we'll glass all day long with you. So you can make that type of decision. But uh, you know, the upgrades in quality are small and sometimes not very noticeable when just hand holding some binoculars in a in a Bass Pro or a you know a Cabela's or something like that. So it's definitely something you have to you have to know what to look for, where to look for it, and you know exactly why you you should be looking for it. And I think that is why I think is a Midwestern and and, and uh, Eastern hunting because everything is kind of closer and and shrunk a little bit. Those types of uh, increases in quality don't mean as much to a lot of people. But that's, in my opinion, I think that's a good thing. I think you're saving money in areas that you don't need certain types of performance in. I mean, you don't need great resolution or great clarity at 1,500 yards. You don't need the perfect edge on your binoculars so you can see a, you know, a coos deer antler at 2,000 yards poking out of a bush on the edge of your field of view. Like that's not something that is a requirement. So it's not something you need to be looking for. Good quality center image, lightweight, durable, you know, easy to use, uh, you know, things like that start to become a lot more important with different styles of hunting. So realistically, I think a lot of people who are going to be doing Eastern or Midwestern style hunting shouldn't be looking at at $4,000 binoculars, even if it's in your price range, even if you got the money to blow on it. If you want to buy one from us, we're more than happy to sell it to you. But we would tell you, hey, man, this is this is more than you need for sure. I mean, we have I talk to people all the time. They're like, man, everybody's telling me I need to buy this brand. And I'm like, well, it sounds like you're just going to be in a tree stand most days and you just want to be able to see something from across the, you know, across the cornfield. He's like, yeah, well, you know, I I don't think you really need something. I don't think you need an 85 millimeter spotting scope to do that. You know, it's. We could probably get away with a less expensive pair of 10s or 12s. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, that sounds, that sounds great. Cause they have a lot of people just have the misconception of, you know, I got to have the biggest and best and baddest. And that's great. And that's fun. And I totally get it. That's, you know, I do the same thing in a lot of areas of my life. But man, when you can cut back in some areas, spend more on your camo, spend more on your rifle, your bow, things that, are going to make a difference at the end of the day. Uh, I think that's definitely the most important thing to do. So uh, there's a point of diminishing returns as far as quality goes in optics. And, you know, it absolutely, there is a difference between a $3,000 and a $4,000 pair of binoculars, but it's 
it's small. Most people are never going to see that in their in their use. It takes a lot of time to really discern those differences. So one of the things that you had mentioned and you were talking about like what does what what do you actually need, right? And you also had mentioned like a TV uh with the resolution. So for a Midwestern hunter, um if you're using, you know, a, 10 by 50s are really big for, you know, a mobile tree stand hunter. Um, 10 by 42s, I would say is a standard, but there are guys that are going to like the, I don't know what it would be like an eight by 20 um, or something like that. Uh, Like some of the smaller ones and on that resolution, you know, the smaller the TV, the less important 4k is right. Um, So how does that, like scale down, we, you know, when we're going to 80 power, okay. That, 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 on a spotting scope, that's a big, huge jump. Yeah. But as we're going down, where does that like clarity, how does that translate? So it's actually in that case or in that scenario, you know, that's actually a little bit different. Sorry. Somebody's, okay. There we go. Uh, it's actually almost the exact opposite as, you know, like you said, TVs get smaller, resolution becomes less important. But as binoculars get smaller, resolution actually gets smaller at the same time. At the end of the day, the, the, the formula is light coming in. So the more light I can get through those lenses, the higher the resolution is going to be. So, and that is affected by two things, the magnification of the binocular and the objective lens. Talk about exit pupil a lot. And the, the sweet spot for exit pupil. And that's literally just the measurement of the beam of light that is coming through the, that full binocular or coming all the way through the binocular. And so, you know, smaller is good and they're going to look a little more clear sometimes, mainly because their magnification is a little bit lower. So like eight by 32s and 10 by 32s in an eight, you know, that's going to look a little bit better than the 10 by 32. And then the 842s and 1042s, your eight is going to look a little bit better. It's going to be brighter. There's going to be more resolution. So like you mentioned, 1050s and 850s and things like that, kind of the more, uh, the larger objective lens versus a normal magnification. That is where a lot of people doing Eastern hunting and, and that type of hunting where it's not, movement's not huge. You're not, don't care about weight and size as much. You care more about resolution. You care more about being able to see right when the sun comes up and right before it's going to go down. And so that's a very important thing to think about. It's just the way that that coincides, the way that those two numbers coincide with each other. So the lower the magnification, the bigger the objective lens, the more lights coming through. Uh, there's like a generic rule of thumb on what you're looking for as far as exit pupil goes and it's it's kind of up in the air we like to recommend like try to stick with something around a six as far as a uh, an exit pupil, six millimeters as far as an exit pupil goes so that would be your 842s would be about five point something right in there your 1556s again five so that's when you start to get into the 850s and the 1050s 1050s are right at a five the 850s are about a 5.7 5.8 you know, it's like the closer you can get to that six number, the happier you're going to be as far as resolution goes, because your eyes are going to be getting more light. It's going to be happier at the end of the day. You're going to be glassing later and earlier. 
Um, so, I mean, finding that sweet spot and knowing that, knowing what you're going to be doing and, and how you're going to be doing it. So if you're, if you're going to be, you know, hunting in a tree stand and you, you know, you're going to be taking a lot of shots or getting a lot of action right at sunrise, an 832 or a 1032 is probably not the best idea in the world because it is probably, it's the darkest option, you know, out there right now. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to be better off with an eight by 50 or at least an eight by 42 or a 10 by 42. So that's, but if you're a, if you're going to be sitting in the plot, like midday, you know, or you're going to be doing a lot more day hunting and different types and you want to be more flexible, then yeah, you can get away with, you know, some other options like a 1556. If you want to be glassing at closer, you know, closer proximity, but light's not a huge issue. Um, that's why I think the Western guys can kind of get away with a little stuff because that early morning, you know, right at sunrise, it's important to be able to find animals, but very rarely are we needing to take shots or like be in the action right at sunrise. So I tend to not really care too much about, you know, my light gathering. I'd rather them perform best overall. Um, but if you're looking for something specific like Swarovski, they used to make an eight by 56 and a 10 by 56, which I mean, we're, we were selling to to guys out East like crazy because I mean, it's just, it's like a beam of light, you know, holding in your hands. It's almost night vision. You're getting so much light at such an early time that it really performs well. So that would be something that would be, a, you know, like a specialty item that you're looking for, but yeah, just knowing what you're going to be doing with them, how you want them to perform and then kind of deciding you know, the magnification, the objective lens from there, because there's a lot of options, you know, out there, it gets a little, gets a little confusing, but higher magnification is going to be less light, smaller objective lens going to be even less light. So finding the good mix in between those two is, is, a uh, is something to really think about when you're purchasing a fair binoculars. Same goes with spotting scopes and, and rifle scopes too, but magnification and objective lens, that's it. So switching gears here a little bit. One of the things I think like as bow hunters, and when you talk about that, you know, getting those shots and like at the time of day um, is, and I guess I never really, I was listening to one of the other podcasts that you guys have done. And uh, I, I guess I never really put range finders into the optics category. Right. And uh, listening to you guys break down some of that stuff on, range finders and I guess some of the needs of like a Western hunter to be able to glass something or, you know, to be able to range something a mile away or whatever, whether it's just to see, okay, that's how far away they are. What's my next uh, piece of terrain that I can get to or whatever. But when you're taking those super long shots and, you know, we think of like uh back the old school TV, like best of the West where they were killing stuff, you know, across these canyons at these ridiculous distances. Um, and then you think about uh, actual ballistics and bullet drop and all of that sort of stuff on the accuracy of that range finder and the ability to dial that into a rifle scope to, to hit exactly there. One of the things that we see here, whether it's at 30 yards or 35 yards or 60 yards or whatever, um, is a huge discrepancy, you know, 
two or three yards between my rangefinder and your rangefinder, uh, which is a huge deal at 800 yards on a, you know, 30 inch holdover, what ends up being something like that, you know? So when you're talking about rangefinders, like what, how does that technology work? Why are we seeing those discrepancies and what makes a better rangefinder? So that rangefinders could get real, real intimate with, you know, like the, the things you have to look at. I think rangefinders are probably one of our most customer service, you know, related products. We talk to people all day long, you know, sitting there with 30 minutes, getting their rangefinder set up and working correctly. And so it's usually one of the purchases that does require a little bit more research. Um, and now we're getting into the days of binoculars and rangefinders, like the EL range and the Leicas and, you know, Zeiss and Vortex all have got a rangefinding binocular. And so there's even more things to think about now. Do I need a rangefinding binocular? Do I just need a rangefinder? Blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, there's tons of opinions floating around out there about which one's better, which one you should use. I think it definitely needs to be decided upon by your style of hunting and not just how you're going to be hunting, but how you like to hunt. I mean, I definitely what I do, I probably should be using a range finding binocular, but I don't like it. I just, it's just not for me. I hate not having a range finder. And so there's no other reason besides just my, I just want a little range finder. I want to be able to have that with me. I want to be able to separate the two. If I need them, if I need to give my binoculars, somebody, I can't. So, you know, it's all about just what you think you're going to be wanting to do that, that uh, decision between that one. But then you get into the actual operation of the rangefinder and, and what you need. And, you know, now there's everything from, I mean, you can go, you could probably pick up a $50 rangefinder somewhere. I don't know, but you know, we've got like the RX full draw five from Leupold, which is a, you know, slightly entry level. It's in, you know, the three to $500 range and depending on which one. And then you've got Leicas uh, that do all the ballistics and all the fancy stuff at 14 to $1,500. And those are just handheld. There's lots of stuff going on there. Like, why is this at that? Why is there a thousand dollar difference there? Um, ballistics is the, the first question we ask. If somebody says, hey, I need a range finder. Cool. You shooting a rifle? And if you are, do you care if it has a ballistics or, you know, has ballistic calculations? Uh, and, you know, that makes it, that's a huge, that's a huge separator. If the answer is yes, you're, you're looking at a very specific group of products. If the answer is no, then get rid of those. Like you, again, don't buy something you don't need because that money can go towards something else. So if you're strictly archery, there's no need for you to be buying those $1,500 handheld rangefinders. You know, it's, it just because they're better, you know, that they, they're offering more features that you're never going to use. Um, speed, accuracy, and optics are kind of the three things you really like to look at. Size and weight, don't even think about it on a rangefinder. They're all the exact same size. They're all basically the exact same weight. That doesn't make any difference. Uh, but speed, accuracy, and, and optics. And like you said, you don't think about optics very much on a handheld rangefinder. But then you get one that may or may not have the best optics in it. We've had this experience lately with a with a certain product. And early morning, light's not very heavy yet. So 
uh, color is not saturated. Everything's you, you see it when you look through binoculars early morning. Everything's the same color. All of a sudden, you hold up a rangefinder and you're trying to pick up a deer on a hillside at 100, 150 yards, and he's gone. You know, and then you look at your naked eye and you're like, no, he's right there. And you look in your rangefinder, he's gone. And you're like, ooh, that's not, that's not good. You know, that's not something that should really be happening. And then, then you realize that optics and rangefinders they do make a difference. And some people can, or some companies tend to uh, shirk on the optical quality of a rangefinder because it, it's only seven power most of the time. It's a very small image. And people are usually using them in bright, you know, pretty bright conditions. So that's something to look at. Uh, and then speed and accuracy. Speed, I think, is probably our number one recommendation. Look for a fast rangefinder. There's no worse feeling than standing there, ranging a deer at 25 yards. That Those milliseconds between clicking that and getting a reading feel like hours when, you know, this is the difference between either killing this deer or not. I need to know that distance. I need to know it now. I need to know it's accurate so I can move on. When you get some of those rangefinders, you hold it up and you click it and it thinks for a solid two seconds, you're sitting there thinking like, oh, this is it. Like that deer is going to look up. I've lost all this time. When in reality, it's very quick. But having something that is instantaneous is such a better feeling. And so speed is definitely something to look at. It's not a lot of, sometimes a lot of people forget about that. And then, like you said, accuracy, which luckily is pretty much fixed uh, with all of the laser technology that they're using nowadays and current products, current gen products. Accuracy is pretty much you can just assume that everything is just as accurate as the next. So that's that's one good thing they've fixed over the years, because most companies don't actually produce their own laser products. Um they will produce everything but the laser, the housings and the technology and the software and stuff. But the actual laser itself comes from a couple different places across the world. So as those suppliers increase their accuracy and things like that, it trickles down to pretty much every company in the world. Um, so that's one good thing. You, you won't see that deviation really with any product, even the lower end stuff. You won't see that two or three yard deviation very much anymore. That's uh, pretty much a thing of the past. Thank God. Because that was a, I mean, you could sit there and hold them, you know, face to face and click the range button at the same time. This one gets 22.4. This one gets 24.1. And you're like, come on, like, where's, it's a laser. Like, this isn't supposed, this is supposed to be one of the most accurate things out, measuring devices out there. And uh, so that's, you know, that's, that's good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, range finders, unfortunately, are going to be the one thing that that might take you a little bit of research. It might take some some time to find the right one. I will, but don't do this very often, but I will say the RX full draw five from Leopold is one of our biggest recommendations. It's fast. It's inexpensive. It's very high quality. We've never had any, you know, big RMA problems with it. People drop them all the time. It happens. But as far as just normal issues, we don't have a lot of them. They're very accurate. They have great archery profiles for an archery hunter. That is pretty much all you'll ever need. You know, if if you don't need ballistics and you're going to be archery hunting most of the time, it's really hard not to recommend the the full draw five from Liverpool. It's a really good product. They have it. They really focused on the archery market with it, and I think it shows. It's, it's nice. So as far as and I'd never even would have considered speed as a 
as a metric, right? Um, so is that listed on there, uh, like apples to apples, or is it just something you pick it up and you're like, oh, okay, this one's faster? <laughs> yeah, sometimes some companies will. The companies that are proud of it, uh, they will list it as, as a spec sometimes. It's usually a little off. Uh, real world scenario with lasers is is always slightly different than lab tests and stuff or just the spec of the laser. Sometimes they'll just give you the spec of the laser and that's that's good and all. It's good for comparison, but real world example, you know, or real world testing will show something different. Um, and then distances will also uh, will, will affect it. And then the, the features that you're going to be ranging are also going to affect it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely something to think about. You will need to test them, but it's good because that is something you can test in a Bass Pro Shop or in a sportsman's warehouse. You can tell them like, all right, line them all up and just sit there and start clicking stuff. And you can look at the accuracy and you can really get a feel for that speed. How fast is, when I click that button, how fast is that number popping up? You know, is it giving me a little swirly circle for a second before it, you know, so it needs to think or is it not? What I've found is I actually use pretty old range finders um, as far as the rest of my equipment goes is in optics. I use I use some old range finders because they don't have any of the fancy stuff in them. I need the way I hunt, especially with a rifle, I need an accurate range and that's all I need. I'll do my I'll do the other stuff in another piece of software or just on a cheat sheet, you know, on a piece of paper. And so the older stuff that doesn't have all the ballistics and everything is a little bit faster. They do have some faster processors in them because they don't have to do all that fancy calculations. So I actually end up, I have like a five or six year old rangefinder that I don't know if I'll ever replace because it's still one of the fastest on the market. And uh, it's done me well for plenty long ranges, 1600 yards. And, you know, we're golden. That's the other thing is the numbers, you know, with, with rangefinders. You got to ignore those. You you just, you have to. Those big, big numbers they put at the end of the product names, the 5,000s, the 8,000, the 10,000. That's, I hate to say it, but it's marketing. Don't, don't get distracted by the big numbers. Look at the little numbers. Look at the other specs. You're never going to range 10,000 yards. You're never going to need to. You're never going to range 5,000 yards and you're probably never going to need to. So those max ranges, some people get caught up on them. Like, oh, this one's only got 1600 yard max range. Go try go outside right now and try to find something at 1600 yards. You can't even see 1600 yards most of the time. So that's something to, to watch out for when you're, when you're range finder shopping for sure. So one of the things that uh, keeps coming up in like our groups about range finders, and I would say for the most part, none of them are in the, above a $500 range um, is the reticle or the readout color. And would you say that that is uh, exactly the same problem as the low quality optic? Uh, Because I think that that's what it is when, when we're looking through it and everything is gray and then we have a black dot on yeah. the gray thing and you can't read it or you can't see, you know, what it's ranging. Uh, Cause the one that I have now is, is actually, I didn't, like I said, I didn't even know that it was a, a thing and I let somebody else try it and they're like, Oh my God, that's super fast. And I was like, okay, well 
that's cool. I didn't pay cool. attention. <laughs> and it's yeah. and it's a red readout. And that's the first thing that I noticed yeah. about it is like, now I don't have to worry about, you know, that low light type of scenario. Like, at least I can read what it says, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Having, having a red readout is, is pretty much a, a must nowadays. Um, red or green, you're not many people are doing green, but it's also, it, there are still people that like the black, black readouts. So I don't know if they're ever going to go away completely. Uh, some Leopold products are still black and some of the Vortex products are still black, but they have their, they have their uses and where they really get nice is long distances and things like that. They're always going to be cleaner. So that's the reason they use black. It's like an e-ink type, you know, display and it's, it's actually projected onto you know, a a piece of glass in there. And so you get a much, much, much sharper readout. Everything's easier to read. You can display way more information on the screen without it being looking bleedy or uh, starbursty, you know, that you get with with red readouts. Um, And so that's why some companies use them. SIG uh, does it on some of their products and some of the others they use red and definitely on the, the red products their readouts are, are harder to read sometimes because they do put a ton of information on screen and the little numbers start to become a little more difficult to read. So uh, colorblind too. I mean, that's something that, you know, I didn't think about until we started getting people calling in and the red readouts are extremely difficult for colorblind people to read. Um, it, you know, it, it's, it's not only, I had somebody explain it to me one day, it's not only, you know, it just looks a different color. It actually is almost transparent to a lot of people. Uh, and so black readouts are kind of universal. So I think they're always going to stick around and they do have their benefits. But most of the time, most people are moving to that red readout. They have great adjustable uh, adjustable brightness. Most products nowadays have an intelligent uh, brightness adjustment. So you can set it. And, you know, you range in the morning, it's going to see how much lights in the air, lights coming in, and it's going to adjust that brightness down to not blind you while it's almost dark outside. So it definitely boils down to personal preference, but I think that one is a little more leaning on the side of like red is better, you know, a little bit in some scenarios, but there's always going to be people out there that are, you know, prefer a black display and shooters, like long distance shooters really like them. They're more fine. Uh, they're easier to read and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's something to look out for, though, for sure. And then, yeah, with there is another thing to mention with binoculars, with with range finding binoculars. They only most of them only project into one eye, and uh, for me, most project into the left eye. I have a horrible left eye compared to my right. It's it's bad. They're they're two different, uh, you know, two different uh, corrections, and. Sometimes on some binoculars, I can't correct my diopter quite enough, or I can't get the reticle on that left eye adjusted to a perfect uh, to a perfect resolution or clarity. And so, if you've got problems with one eye or the other, knowing which eye a range finding binocular actually projects through is is definitely uh, it can be really disappointing when you get it in the mail and all of a sudden you hold it up and you're like. Oh crap. Like I can barely see this, you know, this readout happens more often than not, or it happens more often than you'd think actually. That's something to think about. So for, for guys like us, and I know a lot of the guys that are um, listening to this podcast and like 
So this uh, 2024, we've got a spring bear hunt coming up. So we're going to go to Montana. And a lot of these guys are Midwestern guys, never been out West, or maybe this is going to be their, uh, you know, second or third trip out West. And so maybe they've got all the rest of their gear and they're saying, okay, I want to upgrade my glass. Um, for someone who w- will say primarily hunts east of the Mississippi, but has one or two uh, hunts a year and understanding, like I know you guys are in the business of selling optics, right? But for, for those guys, when we're talking about some of these higher end um, optics and things like that, a, um, what is necessary? B, what is a, a, a nice to have, right? And then C, where does it become not cost effective? And what, where do you stand on like uh, the rental options and things that are out there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, speaking of rentals, we actually were going to to start a rental program. We think it's a great idea. Um, I had to put it on pause, but we absolutely love the rental idea. It gives people, it gives people options. It gives people access to optics that they may not be looking to purchase right now, but want to know like, Hey, is this going to be worth it? Do I need this? Uh, renting is, is awesome. I think everybody should, if they're in the position, if they're about to make this decision, I mean, at, this could be a $10,000 decision. If you really want it to be, if you want to spend the big bucks, so doing a little research and, and, you know, renting the car before you buy it type thing is, is a taking it on a test drive is a great option. So there's a lot of really good rental companies out there. I would absolutely, I would absolutely recommend, uh, I've heard great things about all of them. Um, definitely recommend using one of those for sure. And then when we have ours up and running, use ours, but, uh, yeah, renting is good. Getting a feel for what you're looking for, borrowing your buddies, finding people you can, you know, loan stuff. That's, that's always the best place to start. Um, so as far as needs, uh, the one thing I, maybe not a need, but something that a lot of people think they need that they just don't is a spotting scope. The, the obsession with spotting scopes is, I think comes from just wanting something big and bad and cool and they're awesome. And you, you know, closer is better. It's in your mind. It's like, I need to get closer. I need to get bigger in the image. And that's not always necessarily true. You mentioned earlier that you're sitting next to a guy with a spotting scope and you're out glassing him with binoculars. That's because as magnification increases, quality becomes so, so important. So we talk about how you start to fall off in, in the, the differences between the, the higher end stuff as you get more expensive. It's actually more important as you get higher, more expensive with spotting scopes. Um, buying a, if say you had two thousand dollars to spend and you spent a thousand on a binocular, a thousand on a spotting scope, you're probably going to be better off by spending fifteen hundred dollars on a pair of binoculars and going buying some some new camo, you know, type thing. Going buying some better clothes because you know the the well actually thousands actually can get you something decent nowadays, but like I said, stuff changes all the time. But shirking or or skimping on a spotting scope and spending less on a pair of binoculars because of that is usually not the right way to go. We usually recommend investing a little bit more into your into your binoculars. 
either saving that money or using it for something that's a little more you need to prioritize a little bit more right now as opposed to purchasing a spotting scope before you're ready and before you've done the research because some really good binoculars can outperform some less expensive spotting scopes in a lot of scenarios. So I think the need would be focusing on the the correct products and focusing on what you really do need instead of trying to spread your budget a little too thin. So I think that would be, because honestly, a need as far as a binocular goes is kind of tough. They, they're not very feature rich. You know, we talk about like reviewing binoculars a lot. And uh, at the end of the day, a binocular review is going to sound the same uh, between a hundred binoculars. They're all going to sound pretty similar. That's got two ocular lenses, got two objective lenses. This one's this size, this one's this size, you know, and then reviews pretty much over, you know, until, until you look through them. And I can't tell you how they're going to look, you know, to your eyes. So the needs, as far as what you need out of a binocular is something of quality, which right now is about that. I'd call it seven to thousand range is when that, I think the real quality starts in a lot of products. But then also investing in the correct stuff is is the need. Um, the want or the the nice to have is is where we come in, tripods. If you're Western hunting and if you're coming out West, you will have more fun. If you're going to be doing big glassing and glassing for long periods of time, you will absolutely have more fun and you will be more successful with a tripod. We sell very expensive tripods. We are not saying that your first hunt out West you got to come in and drop $2,000 on a tripod with us. Absolutely not. We don't even recommend doing that. Um, getting something as simple as an Amazon basics tripod with a good way to mount your optics is fine. Just being on top of a tripod is going to be better than anybody handholding. It will make you more efficient. You will find more game and you will have more fun. There's like, those are three things. It's not a maybe. It's an absolute. If you just put it on any tripod, you're going to have a better time. You're going to be more successful. So that's definitely a a nice to have for sure. So, so on that um, need to have, um, what would you say is uh, magnification and objective? Like, what, what what's like? Um, for example, like we're we're playing this bear hunt, right? So we're going to be glassing across canyons. I've been to Colorado, both archery hunting and rifle hunting. And like I said, we were glassing these bulls that were a, a mile away. And then in Idaho, we were in no man's land and it was so thick. I couldn't glass anything, you know? Yeah. So the the if you could only have one size of binocular, what would that be? It'd be the 1042. You know, it, it's so it's so tried and true at this point that it's really hard to ignore. So I like to think there's there's three there's three magnifications as far as binoculars go. We'll ignore the 15 and the 18. We'll we'll class those as high powered binoculars. So as as far as medium, you know, magnification binoculars, you have eight, ten, and twelve. Those are the those are the three. No one really strays from that. There's some companies out there that do the 11s and the 13s and things like that, but it's 8, 10, and 12. You're giving up something with the 8s and the 12s. 
you know, you're, you're making a, you're making a decision there. The 10 is just so usable in so many scenarios that you're definitely getting the best of both worlds and not giving up quite as much. The eight, you're obviously not going to be able to do as much long range glassing. The 12 is going to be pretty horrid in, you know, close quarters, archery all cunning in the timbers of New Mexico. Uh, the 10 is going to perform the same pretty much anywhere you go. So prioritizing it and deciding, okay, which type of hunting am I going to be doing more? Or while I'm hunting, what it, what are my scenarios going to look like more often than not? If you're more often than not going to be glassing at long distances, thousand yards plus, I would absolutely recommend a 12. If you're going to be archery elk hunting one week and then the next week you're going to be on a spring bear hunt that you need to glass, tens is a great option if you're splitting your time between those two. And then if you're archery hunting and you're really not needing some long range glassing, eight's definitely the way to go. So you have to really like dig deep and say like, what type of hunting do I actually do? I like to think I archery hunt more than I actually do. And I like to think I'm a better archer than I actually am. And so sometimes we'll be like, oh, I need to specialize like little pair of binoculars. And I'm like, no, I don't, man. You know, I just, I'm rifle hunting most of the time. I really prioritize coos deer. I need a 12. You know, I need some high powered binoculars that I can do some big glassing with. And then, you know, my archery elk hunt, the difference between a 12 and an eight, it's not going to make me a better archer. You know, it's not going to make me a better hunter. So I might as well focus on the thing that I really do prioritize and I really want to do more efficiently, which is the the long range stuff. So I usually end up with 12s, but at the end of the day, the 10 is such a, such a good all around binocular that I recommend it to everybody. It gets complicated sometimes. People complicated in their heads, the, the magnification, especially when it comes to the 12s and the 15s. That conversation can get real long with some people. Uh, but at the end of the day, the more magnification, the longer range you're going to be doing, the lower, the, the shorter. Are you, which one are you going to be doing more of? You know, and just use, use facts, use math, you know, use, use what you're actually doing to make the decision instead of your gut sometimes. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on here. And, and I think a lot of these questions are, you know, every time you look at something and say, okay, well, I need some binoculars. And then it's just like, poof, your mind is blown. Yeah. So I, I think it really kind of shores up a lot of, uh, of the questions that guys have um, across all spectrums because, you know, and it's, it's very, um, I guess, refreshing to hear you say like, yeah, you probably don't need a two or $3,000 pair of binoculars love to sell them to you yeah. but uh you yeah. know it's love not it. all the time, time. It, it's not a um one of these things where like uh and i think it, it, in some ways there are definitely like the optics snobs right and it's like you have to yeah. have this it's a you know in in hunting i think it doesn't matter what what you're hunting um there's almost no absolutes you know, deer, no. elk, whatever, they don't always do this and they don't always do that. And you don't only need this and you can only kill with this. Um, and it must be. So uh, I, I really appreciate your take on all of this and, and, and kind of walking it through kind of uh, Mr. Potato Head style for me um, and the listeners. Uh, if they've got questions or, you know, concerns or they're, um, you know, trying to make, you know, they drew some ridiculous sheep tag and they're like, okay, now what do I do? Um, where can they go with, uh, any further questions? Yeah, absolutely. So you can always call us. Uh, we pride ourselves on our, on our customer service, especially over the phone. You're never going to get a voicemail. Uh, well, 
normal business hours, you're hopefully never going to get a voicemail, but there's no machines. You're here to, we're here to talk to you about that type of stuff. So 1-800-291-8065 is our phone number. Info at outdoorsmans.com. You can email us anytime, outdoorsmans.com. You can chat with us. Uh, we are, we are truly, we always try to tell people this. Some people don't really believe that we're serious, but we are truly here to talk to you about literally anything. When you call us, we are not, we are not trying to get you, you know, sold and order place and off the phone. If you have questions, that's what we are here to do because and you talked about like the optic snobs. We get called optic snobs all the time. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but you know, at the end of the day, quality is quality and you have to acknowledge that in, in some products, but we are in the business of making people happy. We're not in the business of selling extremely expensive optics. If you tell me that your budget is this, I am not going to push you outside that budget. I would much rather keep you somewhere comfortable, make sure you're happy within that budget and make sure you're, you're going to want and have a good experience to come back later. So, you know, our, we do pride ourselves on our customer service and seriously, literally any question, call us anytime. If you've got a clues to your hunt and you've got everything you need, you don't need to buy anything and you want to talk to, in Arizona, you've never done it before, call us and we'll tell you some great spots to go. We don't care if we don't sell you anything. So. Yeah, seriously, anybody who ever needs to reach out, we're here for you. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me on.